Welcome to PharmaTalk Radio Podcasts. This podcast is focused on fighting to be a true stakeholder in clinical care and the impact on diversity and inclusion in clinical research from the 2022 Patients as Partners in Clinical Research Summit. For more information about the Patients as Partners in Clinical Research Summit, our editorial, podcasts, and webinars, please visit patientsaspartners.org. Thank you and enjoy the podcast. And 2017, still, there was really no standard of care other than chemotherapy for metastatic triple negative breast cancer. I can remember thinking, hey, what about genomic testing? Hey, what about immunotherapy? Hey, what about a clinical trial? I can remember those words when um, my original oncologist indicated we should exhaust all standard conventional care. And if we do that and it doesn't work, then we can think about the things that you're bringing up. I had been on clinicaltrials.gov. It clearly stated that if you've had too many lines of treatment, you will be excluded from a clinical trial. To walk away from your original team, to have no oncologist, and attempt to get into a clinical trial without an oncologist, that's an uphill battle. I had no plan of attack. I just started talking to a lot of people. I mean, everybody I could talk to. Just reading and understanding uh, reports and white papers. And I looked at NYU site and it was like, oh wow, they make it really easy if you put in your variables. So I can remember the phone ringing, ring. And it says, hello, this is Dr. Cho. And I was shocked. It's a double agent immunotherapy only trial that the cohort is opening for triple negative breast cancer patients. Would you be interested? I can remember trying not to scream into his ear. Wherever I went, there, were, there was somebody you know, along the way who was telling me that I'm going to be with you. We're going to monitor everything. If you have any questions, it was frightening and it was exciting because I was, it was new. I was, everything was new. Everybody was new. And, uh, you know, the chances were extremely slim that this was going to work. Eight weeks after starting the trial, he pulled up the scan of what my lungs looked like, and he said to me, um, I've got some news. Um, from looking at your scans and looking at the report, there has been a 72% reduction in your lesions. And this is the very first scan. I was in complete shock, in complete shock. I remember being very quiet and eventually, um, I think I broke down and I cried. I think um, I might have hugged him. <laughs> I feel very lucky and I feel very humbled by this whole experience. I don't think there's anything wrong with taking ownership and collaborating with your medical team. I'm just a regular woman from Harlem, New York City. I believe there's more Karens out there, but they just don't know it. I think the goal for me is that my little story may change some things and break down some of the stereotypes that come with clinical trials and people thinking it's a last stand. I think the discussion about clinical trials should be happening a lot earlier.
Good morning. So I'm Deirdre Bavard, and I am honored and humbled to be here with Karen as she tells her story. And I can see that I probably should have brought tissues up too. Um, incredibly moving. And you know, part of the conversation we want to have is about the patient as obviously the key stakeholder in your care, but also the impact of the way we work on diversity in clinical trials. And you know, as I've watched that video, and I've watched it a number of times, um, I think, damn, it doesn't need to be that hard, does it? Or it shouldn't. <laughs> it was that hard. Yeah, it's amazing because normally I don't really get emotional about watching myself. I actually don't like to watch myself because it's such a, it's like, wow, you actually did that. You actually went through that. You actually saved your own life when the odds were stacked against you. And I mean, odds. odds. Yeah. Thank you. It, it is, it's truly amazing. I mean, look, those of us who work in the industry and think we understand it, it's hard enough to navigate healthcare plus clinical trials. But you did this on your own in large part. So... Talk to me about the difference. You said your, your original um, oncologist said they wanted to exhaust all standard of care options. How did you know, like what trigger, was triggered in you to say, uh-uh, that, that ain't going to happen, that's going to be a problem for me? That's a very good question, and thank you for the patients and partners for having me here. Thank you, Valerie. Thank you, Kate, for putting this whole thing together. I, that question is so interesting because it actually started probably a year before. Um, in 2015, I was diagnosed with stage one triple negative breast cancer. And during my entire treatment, I really didn't understand that there were differences. Every decision that I made, um, I really didn't collaborate. I just, you know, did what I was told. I did standard of care. There was no trying to educate myself. It was so emotional. There's no guidebook for this. And I kept thinking, you know what, if something goes south, what will you do? Will you be a partner in your treatment plan or will you just sit quietly and go into the night? What will you do? Um, and that always stayed with me, the fact that I was making a lot of emotional decisions as far as my treatment plan in stage one. And I said, that's not what's gonna happen and if something goes south. You're gonna be educated and you're gonna be informed and you're gonna be a collaborator and you're gonna change the way in which you participate in your own healthcare journey. I made that vow to myself. That's impressive. So you, you didn't wait for it to be asked, right? Made sure you were a partner. So what was the difference between that experience and then as you described Dr. Cho, mm -hmm. um, what helped people understand like having a care provider that wants to go a traditional path versus the way uh, you interacted with Dr. Cho? I think for Dr. Cho, I made it quite easy for him to identify that I would be a great person for the trial. So at the, he was pretty much at the end of the journey in regards to health literacy for my own personal self and my own experience. I made sure that I had access and found doctors who listened, who actively collaborated and who understood the vow that I wanted to make an informed decision and help me get access to those tools, like genomic testing, understanding that I had a whole bunch of fighter cells that were on a coffee break that needed some help, understanding that there's something called immunotherapy, and I might have a shot at that. And the fact that my original team 
didn't, they discouraged that. Um, they discouraged um, genomic testing. They discouraged all of the tools needed to make an informed decision. So Dr. Cho was at the end of it because at the, when I finally got to him, I had gone through the process of making sure that I had all the tools and I had spoke to everybody. And so I identified him and then he identified me through all of the scientific data that backed up um, my health report and my health journey that said, ah, ding, 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 we have a winner. She might be right for this trial. Let me make a call. So I was lucky because he reached out, but I reached out to him. So because again, if you've been diagnosed stage four, I don't care who's sitting here today in this room, every single one of you is going to fight. Every single one of you is going to look under every stone, every book, talk to every person you can to stay alive, to go home to your families, and that's what I was trying to do. Yeah. And you would hope, you know, I, I, none of us can ever know how we'd act in the same situation, right? We'd hope we're the Karen. Um, and by the way, not in the current vernacular of a Karen. This okay. Karen. It's not a popular <laughs> name this year, but that's okay. That's all right. We're going we're gonna to redefine it, what it means it to be is, a Karen. It is, it is what it is. But you had to do a lot of self-education. Um, how, how did you even know where to begin? And I'll extend that to how do you now advise others, because you're such a, a strong patient advocate and coach. I want to shout out to all those patients who share their stories. Um, so I compartmentalized my process. I needed patients who shared their stories about how they got into a trial, what immunotherapy was like. So shout out to uh, Stephanie Joho, who was on, I think, immunotherapy for colon cancer. I read her story in the New York Times. I met her and thanked her because, you know, we don't come from the same space, but her story was inspiring because if she could do it, I could do it. Um, re reaching out to those researchers who were willing to talk to me about my case because I hadn't been diagnosed stage four. I just had an inkling that something was going south. Oh. I did it opposite. <laughs> Instead of waiting for it to happen, I saw, you know, there was a blood test and my original oncologist indicated, hey, something's gone wrong here. And I was like, okay, let me start talking to researchers. So I'd knock on their doors, I'd make appointments, I'd show up, I'd harass them, and they talked to me about my case. What what it, was, what it would be like if I was going to make an informed decision, what the options would be. And so I think that's really important. And the work that I do now, it's really about making sure that patients are health literate. It's one thing to think about a clinical trial, but it's another thing to understand why that trial might be right for you. Yeah. It's not just about the clinical trial, it's about having access to the tools and being able to empower yourself to have a conversation with a medical professional about your particular case, precision oncology, and to have those conversations and to help patients become a little less burdened. Be able to have the conversation that the doctor has to quantify why he or she has said, I think you should go on this protocol. Well, why is that? Doctor, what are you basing your decision on? What science do we have? And making sure that patients understand that that's a conversation it's okay to have. The science is there. All you have to do is find someone who will help you get to it, understand it, how it's beneficial to you, and then figure out whether or not there's a trial out there that might be, um, 
you know, able to save your life or at least extend it. So I love that you said all you have to do. Because <laughs> <laughs> that's a hell of a lot. So um, you, very proactive, educated yourself. As it came to actually enrolling in the trial, what, what was that experience like for you? What were some of the obstacles that, when you compare it to, to the healthcare you were getting? That's a loaded question. <laughs> and these people need to know. <laughs> so in 2017, um, I think a lot of the trials that I was looking at on clinicaltrials.gov, that site that still exists, that's still like the Bible, for lack of a better word, for clinical trials, where all the trials are housed. Um, it's a very difficult site, but the only thing that I appreciated about it is that the exclusionary criteria stood out. It was like ding, 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 and a call to me, and it helped me walk the tightrope. I didn't do anything, and I didn't want to do anything that would exclude me from a trial. So, again, um, I would talk to, uh, you know, trial recruiters, and they would go, I'm sorry, the window of opportunity is closed, or... I remember talking to a clinical nurse once, and she said, how large is your tumor? And I went on to explain. I had most of my tumors are in my spine and my, in my spine and my uh, ribs and in my pelvis, but I had a couple in my lungs. Oh, they're too small. They're not measurable enough. I'm okay. I'm going to keep going, and I keep going, and I keep going. Sometimes I call, it'll be the wrong number. And I was like, okay, I'm getting nowhere. Um, and so it was really, really difficult. I can remember um, calling a site, and they were like, okay, we're recruiting. Send us your uh, medical profile. Send us your medical history. And at the time, my medical history is probably like maybe, I don't know, 3,000 pages now. But at the time, it was like 1,500, and they wanted me to fax it. <laughs> fax it. Right? Okay, so I had my sister do that at her job, so she's trying to do it. She's a professional, right? And so this is personal information, and she's hogging up the fax machine all day. And then they told me they received it, but they were missing one page, so they couldn't have the conversation. They couldn't continue the conversation. Mm -hmm. This is a true story. But I kept going, and I said, you know what? I'm not going to use any foul language here, but forget all that. <laughs> I'm going to go straight to the principal investigator. I'm going to find somebody who's doing the research that my biological tumor makeup matches, that they're doing the research on. And that's exactly what I did. I took my tumor mutational burden. I took my genomics you know, information. I sent it to Dr. Cho. He read it and said, ding, 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 we have a winner. So. Yeah. Which is just, no one knows you and your disease better than you, right? <laughs> That persistence paid off. Um, then there's often advantages of being in a clinical trial, obviously the therapeutic benefit, but did you experience a different level of care, different interactions? Yes. So it was wonderful when I finally did meet my team. I was scared to death because it's a new team, right? A new place, um, a new, everyone is new. But they were welcoming and they explained everything. Like, okay, Karen, this is what we're trying to do. You have fighter cells that are sleeping, so we're going to give you an IL-2 and a PD-1 inhibitor. The PD-1 inhibitor is going to snatch back the cloak, and the IL-2 is going to take those fighter cells off the coffee break and help them see the cancer and kill it. But here's the side effects that might happen. Here's how many vials of blood we're going to take the first week. Here is what we need from you in order to be able to do this. We need you to be able to be vocal and articulate and be able to tell us about your side effects and what's happening. Here's um, 
how you'll get here. here. Here's how we'll pay for your lunch. Here's how we'll pay for someone to come with you. You'll have a masseuse in the room. You'll have a clinical nurse. You'll have an infusion nurse. You'll have a social worker. You'll have an insurance person. I mean, when Dr. Cho handed me off, because I was just dealing with him. It was just he and I in the room. And then initially, when he, well, he brought all these other people, and I was like, and he said, you do realize I have a team. I have to bring them in. It's just not me and you. And I was a little skeptical, but then when they explained their roles, and they even explained down to what it would look like, like your infusion is an hour, so that's what it's going to look like. You're going to get the IL-2, and you know, then it went on to an IL-2, and I was uh, allergic to the PD-1, so I got a, you know, something to do with that. Like, I think it was Benadryl. Woo! used to make me really woozy. And then, I, so I knew everything. I knew every step. I knew exactly what the rate was. If anything changed, they were right on top of it. And I wasn't used to that level of care and that level of um, just interaction. And they were one of the first, the clinical trial nurse was one of the very first ones to say to me, this is important, what is happening to you? after I got my first scan back, and I was sitting there in shock. And she was one of the first ones who put it in my head, like, you need to tell your story. This does not happen in our community. Do you realize the magnitude of what is happening? So that's a, a, a good um, transition into your advocacy work. And so it sounds like she put it in your head. Yeah, about a year. It took me about a year because I went through the whole survivor's guilt, like, wow, this has actually happened. Why is this happening to me? Like, you know, I worked hard to get here, but once I got here, I was like, okay, so what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to go on and live, but, you know, it's a lot. So it was pressurized. It was a pressurized environment. So I do what I do so that, because I understand what it's like to try to make a decision under a pressurized environment and do it successfully. Um, so I'm like a walking cheat sheet, so it's important for me at Karen's Club to make sure that patients feel supported, educated, and informed in regards to the clinical trials. So we start very basically like where they're at. Like how are you feeling? What's going on? Where did, how, how did you get here? Um, what, what is your medical history like? All of those things. And we're trying to make sure that they're health literate and they feel comfortable about what's happening. Do they understand what they've been through? Do they understand the benefits of clinical research and how you can apply it to your case? It's very important to get them to understand that. Because if you understand why clinical research is important, you're more likely to participate. If you don't understand, it's hard to make a decision and go into a space and you don't know what's going on. It's difficult. So in that context, how can medical providers, the site staff, et cetera, how can they help, especially people of color, understand the potential benefit or what their choices are even for clinical trials? So the conference is called Patients as Partners. Partner up. It's as simple as that. I'll give you a perfect example. The it's, uh, it's National Black Family Cancer Awareness Week. It's happening in, in June of this year. Participate. Call your local clinic. Um, reach out to a nonprofit organization. Talk to the pharma rep who knows the community engagement person at that particular pharmaceutical company. Ask them who in the community are they talking to? What patients are advocates that you should be involved with? Talk to your own patient. 
have a conversation. Hey, is there a church or community group that you're involved in that you'd like to me to speak to? Go back to your schools. I know some of you are in good standing and alumni, right? <laughs> Go back to your schools. Talk to, the, talk to the people in your community. Talk to the researchers that are coming up. Encourage them that, um, to be aware. We understand, you know, African-American community, communities of color are very skeptical when it comes to clinical trials. And we can't erase our history, but we can make it better, right? We can move forward. We don't have to stay stuck in fear. I'm a perfect example. I'm a perfect example of what that's like when things work properly, when people are given choices and access to the tools to make an informed decision. So you can help them do that. So I could talk to Karen for the remaining couple of minutes, but I want to give you guys a chance, if you've got any questions, uh, to come on up to the mic and ask them. We have just a couple of minutes. Um, but here we go. We got somebody. Because I, I got a whole slew of them, if you don't. <laughs> question in all big meetings. Um, my name is Kevin Fryer. Hi, I'm on Kevin. the board of Rare New England. And I also run a small company called Salem Oaks that's trying to educate patients and non-researchers about pharma R&D and clinical trials in particular. My question is, I'm really impressed, I have to say that first. You are talking the language, you got this, you know how to do this, but I'm really impressed by your tenacity and the curiosity that kept driving you. We're seeing you after the fact though, after you've gone through this. What prepared you before you even knew you were gonna have a diagnosis to be that person? And how could we prepare other people to be that person that just keeps driving? That's such an interesting question. I had a feeling that someone may ask that question today. <laughs> no, seriously, I thought about that before I came downstairs. I'll tell you this. I can remember what it was like being a patient and going to visit my doctor like on a, you know, every three months for your appointment. And I can remember in another room I heard a patient screaming and crying and they had been diagnosed. And I was like, what's going on? And my, uh, the social worker was there at the time. She says, oh, we have someone who had been diagnosed with stage four, and you know, they're going through it. And I thought to myself, Karen, what will you do if that happens to you? Like, that person has no idea that experience and listening to that person's trauma inspired me to go, if something goes south, will you be prepared for this? Will you be prepared? So in my community, it's like, you better be ready and get ready so you don't have to get ready. You know what I mean? So, no. It was important for me to become okay with the fact that I made this promise to myself that I was going to be an, a, a willing participant and an advocate in surviving if something in my own health care, in my own health care journey. Yeah, basically. So you have a... Oh! Good. So I'm blown away, Karen, by your story. Thank you. You are a warrior for us patients to look to and gain strength from. I mean, it's extraordinary, really, on every level. Um, I know when you first were talking about it, it sounds like you have a family. So it's not all of a sudden just your life that you're concerned about, right? It's leaving your family. I know that when I was going through mine, it was no longer a silly football career. It was a, it was a wife and four kids. And so when they put you on the trial, you were gonna make sure and do everything that the trial asked you to do. 
But let me ask you the question, how important was it to feel like you were a partner in that process, that you were told what was coming, that you could prepare for it physically and emotionally uh, in that journey? That's a great question. It was a relief because, again, I was used to just not really being informed. So to have someone sit in front of you and say to you, this is what is going to be expected. This is why you're right for this particular trial. You have a higher tumor mutational burden score. There is an indicator that you might do well on this drug. This is your biological makeup of your tumor, but the drug will be able to offset some of the things that are going wrong with it. We can help you with that. And the explanation and the education that they gave me was so comforting. It was so comforting. So if you were to tell the audience, and we have a mix of, of patients, but we have a lot of companies out here who want to do it better, but who don't know how, you get to tell them. What would be one or two things you would tell these company executives who are bringing these extraordinary therapies to market to save us that would be meaningful to them? I think what I would tell the big pharma is that don't make it so big. (laughs) Normalize it, right? Like the word clinical trials, like, ooh. Like it should just be normal. It's a tool. It's like a CT scan. It's like... uh, you know, MRI, it's another tool that could help you accomplish the goal of extending your life and going home to your family. But explain it in a way that adds value and it's of benefits, but also explaining the risk. Be honest, but have the conversation and have it early on. Normalize it. Don't make it seem like it's a last stand and it's something that is unobtainable. I've heard from so many different patients that, um, you know, the conversation has been had later on or the conversation has been had as, you know, in the reference of the last stand. And it's like the perception. We've got to work against the perception. That is a powerful message. You know, even the word trial is sort of the wrong message. It's the most advanced care out there that you have an opportunity to take advantage of. So any final words? You're supposed to move it on. You, you <laughs> actually asked the question I was going to wrap with, and all I'd say is it's partnering, it's listening. Thank Listen you. to patients. Awesome. Thank you. How about Thank a hand you. for Karen and Deirdre? Maybe even a standing Thank ovation you. for this. Thank you. Extraordinary. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed the podcast. For more information about the Patients as Partners Summit, our editorial, podcasts, and webinars, please visit patientsaspartners.org. Thank you.